13 is complete. The playoff picture is coming into bright, bright focus. And let's kick it off with deciding maybe the contender versus the pretender in the NFC. 49ers versus Eagles. John Daigle, that's a bit harsh on the 10 and 2. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But when you at home lose 42 to 19 to the San Francisco 49ers who open the game with negative two yards, negative four yards, then close it out with six straight touchdown drives. Uh, this, to me, ascended the 49ers into Super Bowl favorites among the rest of the NFL. And it could be a different matchup the next time these two teams play, given what we knew coming into this one, that the 49ers were coming off extended rest in Thanksgiving and the Eagles were coming off 93 plays in overtime on Sunday. So just from that element alone, I did expect the 49ers to move the ball with these. Brock Purdy becomes the fourth quarterback to reach at least 28 fantasy points against the Eagles in their last five games. The outlier being Patrick Mahomes, if two touchdowns weren't dropped, probably also would have continued that streak. And everyone got it done here. George Kittle with big splash plays. Debo Samuel with two long touchdowns. Even Christian McCaffrey has an easy day on the ground given what the Eagles have typically held opposing running backs to. So genuinely, outside of those first two drives and the first quarter, whenever all it was was two three and outs, the 49ers literally just didn't have the ball at all. From that point forward, that's when they broke this one open and it was an amazing performance. The 49ers have the most elite talented players in the league by far. And when they're all healthy, this is what's uh, actually able to happen. Mm -hmm. And I just think stylistically the 49ers offense matches up perfectly Totally with what the, uh, the Eagles defense is. We see the linebackers, uh, they were really struggling. Tebow was literally trucking them into the ground for touchdowns. And then the secondary just hasn't been up to par for the Eagles. Now, that said, the Eagles are still 10-2. and two. They're still probably the favorites for the first round bye. And they've also beaten the Dolphins, the Chiefs, the Bills, other contenders uh, in recent weeks. So the season's not over for the Eagles, but I am with you. The 49ers are the best team to me when they are fully healthy just because they can win in so many different ways. I mean, we can go down the list of, hey, who didn't hit here for you? Brock Purdy, four touchdowns and 314 yards, no interceptions. Christian McCaffrey, 17 carries, 93 yards and a score. Uh, Debo Samuel, also three catches for 40 yards for Christian McCaffrey. Debo Samuel, three carries, 22 yards and a touchdown to go along with four receptions, 116 yards and two other scores. Brent Ayuk, 5 for 46 and 1 with an awesome diving first touchdown grab. Even Juwan Jennings pops up here for 3 for 44 and 1. And George Kittle, 6 targets, 4 receptions, 68 yards. Hey, now I'm totally with you where this Eagles team is loaded with superstars. We talk about it every single week. But where they continue every single season, and it's by choice, and they have won plenty of games doing it, is just the spine of your defense is going to be your weakest point. They don't... In Vest, you know, first round draft capital into safeties or into linebackers and hope to kind of patchwork in that area. And especially in the last few weeks where they've been injured, we know that Cal Shanahan loves to throw the middle of the field. And then he also has players who can be mismatches and put 41 or whoever else into a blender by motioning Christian McCaffrey into this spot or putting Debo Samuel into this alignment. And for that reason, if these teams do and Daigle, your point about them playing like three games in 13 days, it's mm -hmm. not very fair when you think about it that way. But 42 points in this environment when they are fully healthy, I will always shove my chips in the direction of the San Francisco 49ers. A couple 
poor tackling decisions as well that helped Jawan Jennings, Debo, Christian McCaffrey all get there too. So it was just a low light of a game for a team that, as you mentioned, is still 10-2. and two. Also, one quick note, at the end of this one, DeAndre Swift took a big hit. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But I would just remind everyone that in week one, the one game that Swift wasn't in their offensive picture, Kenneth Gainwell handled 81% of backfield touches. So it's a week where we may be going back to that and lots of different backup running backs because there were a ton of injuries today. Talk to me about the Eagles end of this a little bit more. What was the backfield split between Swift and Gainwell before that injury happened. And we also got what uh, Jalen hurts banged up for a little bit, went into the tent and then he returned to this game too. Kenneth Gainwell involved in the passing game. And it was practically a split, but it was also one where the Eagles were clearly not going to run into the teeth of the Niners front seven, which is why we got some early splash plays from AJ Brown, even a 30 yarder on the opening drive. Um, and he was funneled targets consistently throughout. Devonta Smith also came up with a few big catches. Jalen Hurts did leave in the second half with a concussion, got cleared to come back. And then I was actually shocked with the Niners leading by two scores in the fourth quarter that they would put Hurts back in. And then the Niners, of course, just ran away with it at the end. But honestly, nothing too shocking. It was just the fact that the running backs weren't going to be used in this environment anyhow today. We have seen Devontae Smith again pop off without Dallas Goddard. Goddard mm -hmm. did not practice this week. Uh, we'll see. Next week, they play in Dallas on Sunday Night Football. Great game for us to watch. Obviously, very important game. We'll see if they try to get Dallas Goddard back in the mix. But even with that, that could be a limited participant, Dallas Goddard. And Devontae Smith looks amazing again after a slow start to the season. And that game will have a massive, massive, massive team total because Cowboys defense has been exposed just a couple times now, too. And it's just the fact that he and A.J. Brown get funneled the only targets on that team. So those two, as long as Goddard is out or limited, will just continue to pop because it doesn't go anywhere else. Let's set the reset button real quick here because, mm -hmm. again, the Eagles are 10-2. and two. One game behind the San Francisco 49ers are at 9-3. and three. And you mentioned it, Hayden. Eagles coming up are away at Dallas Sunday night football, then away at Seattle. Uh, that's Monday night football in back-to-back -back weeks. If they win those two games, they almost certainly lock up the number one seed in the NFC. Because after that, it's the Giants and the Cardinals and the Giants again. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, on the other end of that, you know, to get a game back on the Eagles, um, the 49ers then have Seattle, Arizona, then Baltimore on Monday Night Football, uh, Washington, and then close out with the Rams. So it really is these two weeks to put into focus, put this one win, one loss behind you for the Eagles. And as long as you do that, then you're going to have a bye in the playoffs. And once you get the number two seed, it's much different than the number one. Yeah, I think it's a huge difference because the 49ers would have to play the Cowboys most likely in the playoffs before they have to play the Eagles. So the first seed would be definitely a huge advantage on top of just the home field advantage. Okay, we'll keep it moving with maybe another NFC contender getting over their last two week skid. Lions versus Saints. This game felt like I had a little bit of everything. Hayden Winks, but the Lions improve also to nine and three on the season, going on the road to New Orleans and beating the Saints 33 to 28. With eight minutes and 14 seconds left in the first quarter, this game was 21 to zero. Detroit Lions, we had uh, David Montgomery started the game, moved the chains. Jameer Gibbs comes in for an explosive play, gets tackled at the one yard line. In comes David Montgomery, scores a touchdown. Sam Laporta, he catches a touchdown down the seam. Amon Ross St. Brown scores a touchdown early, and it just felt like this game was completely 
out of whack. The Detroit Lions were running the ball a ton. 17 of their 24 series in this game started with the run, even though their center, Frank Ragnall, left with a knee injury. But mm. everything was working. They get Jameson Williams uh, uh, an end-around touchdown where he was absolutely flying down there. The Saints defense, I did not think, was very good. But somehow the Saints were still keeping this a game despite that super slow start. I thought this was a complete cursed game for the New Orleans Saints. We had immediately Derek Carr. He had an interception on a tip pass. They were booing Derek Carr whenever he would come on the field. They were cheering whenever Taysom Hill was the quarterback. Then on top of that, uh, we have a Derek Carr fumble because the left guard was pulling and accidentally hit the ball out of Derek Carr's hand. Eventually, Jimmy Graham scores a touchdown. That's pretty cursed. Alvin Kamara goes out to the sideline, gets tackled into one of the, the chain gang members who definitely breaks his leg. There was a delay in the contest because they had to uh, help him out. That was a super sad story. And then we get a goal line touchdown from Taysom Hill. And then all of a sudden, Derek Carr once again leaves because he was standing in the pocket, delivering a strike down the field and gets absolutely hit. It's his shoulder. It's concussion protocol. It's his ribs. This has been about, what, four or five games in a row where Derek Carr has been hit like this. So Jameis Winston comes in, immediately deflected pass. That should have been interception. Olave catches that, and Olave starts moving the chains down the stretch, and that's how this game ended up being close. This game could have easily been bad. We're talking about booze in the first quarter, and it actually became a pretty interesting game. But it, obviously, the Lions are a much better, more complete team than the Saints. Talk to me about the backfield split. That's what people always ask us every single week. Hayden, talk about the running back tiers every single week. Just the box score. Jameer Gibbs, eight carries for 60 yards, including that early 36-yard gain. Then I think Dave Montgomery immediately checks in from about the five-yard line, goes 18 carries for 56 yards, uh, and both just had one reception on the day. Yeah, so it was a lot of David Montgomery because the game script flipped. Last week when they were trailing, Jameer Gibbs was playing a lot more snaps. Everybody's going crazy. This week, the Lions were in control for this game, and obviously you see a lot more David Montgomery here. He's the only one to get the goal line touchdown. That was coming after Jameer Gibbs got them to the one-yard line. There was just no, no point for Jameer Gibbs to be very involved in the pass game because they were ahead the entire time. They were trying to run the ball. And by the way, like Sam Laporta was absolutely wrecking dudes i'm not sure if he finished as a tight end one but if he didn't finish as the overall title one this week he had to be very close he was absolutely popping off uh looked like an absolute freak for a rookie tight end again and i imagine the usage will continue to be dictated by game script means probably a jameer gibbs game this upcoming week against the bears quite literally the league's best run defense yep possibly well, yeah, I, I would say, but if the Lions are winning, then David Montgomery is going to be playing. Like, I, I think it's more about positive versus negative game script versus, hey, they're good at stuffing the run. Because to me, maybe more of an issue for David Montgomery is if Frank Ragnow misses or not. Right. And it seems like it seems like he won't be missing. Oh. And Justin Fields has uh, historically done really well against the Lions. Uh, okay, Hayden. Saints, five and seven. Um, as you said, this is like the third game that we've gotten shoulder, knees, toes, head injuries for Derek Carr. And every single time, he just goes back and trots out there. We know he has guaranteed money heading into next season. Just spinning this forward for fantasy purposes, I know it's impossible to try to predict exactly what a team is like the next week after injuries. But for the pieces like Taysom Hill, who has 13 carries for 59 yards in a score, Alvin Kamara, 14 carries, 51 yards, and two touchdowns, 
is there any way we can predict what's going to happen here? They play your Panthers next week. So it's going to be a lot of Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill at the goal line, assuming they're going to get favorable starting positions, all that stuff. It is very clear that without Rashid Shahid and Michael Thomas, we can get these massive Chris Olave spike weeks where the yards really picked up here. And Jameis Winston, for all of his flaws, I do think that he will be very aggressive and throwing the ball to Chris Olave. It was Alvin Kamara in this one scoring uh, two touchdowns, also catching six of his eight targets. Again, it's been a while since we've seen eight targets from Alvin Kamara. But like I said, when you're trailing 21-0 with eight minutes left in the first quarter, which seems like almost impossible to do, you're obviously going to get your running backs catching the ball with some dump-offs. What a run here for Chris Olave. Uh, week 13, this week, five receptions, 119 yards. Last week, seven for 114. Week 10, six for 94 and one touchdown right before the bye. So these you know, last three games that he has played, fantastic stuff. And he had a contested catch opportunity from Taysom Hill way down the field that gets batted away. And then one of his receptions, he caught the ball and was down to the two-yard line. So this box score was nearly that much bigger once again. Broncos versus Texans. More playoff races potentially decided this time in the AFC as the Houston Texans, our Texans, improved to 7-5 and five on the season at home, beating the Denver Broncos 22 to 17. This one was 13 to 3 at halftime. Um, 259 yards for the Houston Texans, 182 yards in the air compared to just 103 for the Broncos, 33 passing yards. Uh, in the first half, zero sacks, zero quarterback hits allowed by this Texans offensive line. And that was allowing CJ Stroud to just dice them up down the field. Uh, it was a 52 yard catch to Nico Collins, it was a 59 yard grab to nico collins um then the second half it kind of flips where five sacks multiple quarterback hits but it shows you really the young core and nucleus that this texans team has that it's not just an offense that we keep pointing to it's also defensively will anderson who they traded up to the number three overall pick after selecting cj stroud comes away with two sacks a block punt and a pass deflected that then Derek Stingley intercepts to go along with another interception where he baited Russell Wilson on a seam throw to Cortland Sutton. And then the game ends with an end zone pick by Jimmy Ward on top of that. And yes, Russell Wilson throws three interceptions, 186 yards and one touchdown. Awful news here. Obviously, Damian Pierce scores a touchdown, but on that same exact play, uh, we see wide receivers blocking tight for the formation throughout the NFL. Unfortunately, this time it was Tank Dell. Um, he gets an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman falling back onto his left leg, fractured fibula out for the rest of the season. So Nico Collins goes out there, 12 targets, nine receptions, 191 yards and a score. But other than that, the team was definitely searching for a secondary pass catcher because in the second half, they had about 70 total passing yards. Noah Brown was not anywhere to be seen in this one and Robert Woods. So one of those two is going to have to step up or the return of Dalton Schultz, who obviously missed his game with the hamstring. But I think Nico Collins is like a legit number one wide receiver on tape in the stat sheets. He's like averaging like 88 yards per game all of a sudden. Uh, this season, he had a hell of a stretch run even last year as well. He's just a perfect scheme for all these downfield shots where CJ Stroud keeps his eyes open downfield. Like it's not a surprise to me whenever Nico Collins pops up uh, to the degree that to the degree that he did here. And by the way, people always freak out over corners shadowing wide receivers. Shadows just don't happen in the NFL 
like they did previously, just because I think teams play more zone coverage. Um, and a lot of this game, Pastor Tan, who we all love, and we should be scared of Patrick Tan if we knew he was shouting somebody, but he wasn't shouting anybody. He was actually yeah. on the other side of the field for a large chunk of this game. He also missed about a quarter uh, with like yeah. a hyperextended knee. But like, here's a perfect example for you. Even in the red zone, where you would think at times, you know, a top corner would match up against the other team's top wide receiver when Tank Dell is out. No, he's on the opposite field. Again, this is zone uh, over top of Brevin Jordan. And this is a pass play off play action. Uh, again, like 3.6 seconds with a perfect pocket for CJ Stroud. And it's a beautiful route from... Um, from Nico Collins, who you can't see it from this, but takes a step inside versus 29 to take a step inside with him and then boom, outside, wide open, lovely, lovely stuff. Their connection truly was amazing. I mean, again, I want to reiterate like a 59-yard reception, a 52-yard reception, a 39-yard reception, it's chunk gain after chunk gain after chunk gain. Collins also now a 25% and 46% target share, including today and the two games Tank Dell was injured for this year. Uh, quickly, since you mentioned his name, Noah Brown did have two targets. Both were like just missing. One was like a nice sideline grab that he barely just didn't get his toe into. And then I think another one was kind of an inside breaking route, if I'm not mistaken, that just the ball flew off of his hands or just out of his fingertips. So I don't know who's going to be the second person to step up into this. Brevin Jordan, you know, 27 of his 64 yards. One, Dalton Schultz is obviously missing. Two, it was a fantastic contorting his body on a naked boot to his left by C.J. Stroud that he knew that no one else was going to be over there, so he kind of just like threw it up, and Brevin Jordan was right there. And then we also need to talk about the backfield split because Devin Singletary gets eight carries compared to D Damian Pierce's 15, and obviously DP gets the uh, touchdown and a 22-yard gain on a first and 25, I believe. Well, with Noah Brown, he led the team in routes run this game, so it should be him. We've seen him I pop agree. up. I, I don't think Robert Woods has it in him anymore and john Mechie hasn't shown us anything so i do think that noah brown will be somebody that daigle will be writing about in waiver wires if he is available um daigle, what do you think about that it was also brown's first game back from injury so right. i'm just going to chalk it up to that the fact he was out there is still at least good and remember the broncos pass defense despite not getting there today uh is an elite unit so it's okay for brown to stumble in this spot also josh i was pretty encouraged about the final result, because this is a game the Broncos went over 11 on third down, rushed yeah. through three picks, and they still only lost here on the road well, on the final play in the red zone. The other part of that, CJ Stroud fumbled twice, Tex in the pocket, Texans recovered both of those. Um, mm -hmm. There was also a play where the Texans should have gotten a fumble six, but the referees called it forward progress and blew the whistle, even though the ball was already out. At the same time, Marvin Mims should have had about a 60-yard uh, defensive pass interference that Derek Stingley it was underthrown and they just didn't throw the flag and they've been throwing those flags all week long. It was just super up and down. And yes, in those crucial moments, it just turned out to be interceptions by Russell Wilson, whereas Daigle, as you alluded to, uh, in recent weeks, they've been running super pure. And especially with the turnover differential, they've been super pure. And in this one, I think it was three to nothing on the other side of the equation for them. I saw some people also try to squeeze in Samaji P. Ryan into lineups this week. And it was a desperate week, but it's like we talked about last week. P. Ryan only got those seven carries because Javante was banged up on the first drive. That's all he was in there for the touchdown. This week, not surprising to see P. Ryan not involved whatsoever. I was pulling this up for the other rotation. It was Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary basically rotating drives 
31 snaps to 26 snaps. So we have to demote Devin Singletary, even though the first game back last week where it was all Devin Singletary, this was more or less a drive rotation. Yeah, in the first half, I think it was basically two to one and just the Damian Pierce drives took longer. But then in the second half, as you can definitely see, they went back to uh, rotating drive. So yeah, Damian Pierce, I think, has eaten into that a little bit. And even the Cortland Sutton stuff, it is exactly what you were expecting. Um, his first catch was that, what, 45-yard touchdown grab. Earlier, it was a dropped uh, post pattern that he should have had. But yeah, seven targets, two receptions, 77 yards and a score. So he's 70 or 60 yards. Mm -hmm. And if he scores a touchdown or not. But guess what? He's very good at scoring touchdowns associated to Russell mm -hmm. Wilson. Cardinals versus Steelers. I know. Fourth game. We're already talking about this one. Uh, <laughs> bottom of the barrel stuff here in week 13. But Daigle hit it to me because the Steelers team, we're talking about the playoffs. They were seven and four entering it. Now they're seven and five, losing to the Arizona Cardinals 24 to 10 in a game delayed by weather and in a game where Kenny Twice. Pickett left with an injury. And I was excited about this one pathetically because I wanted to see the Steelers new look offense in a soft spot for the second consecutive game. But that dream died when Kenny Pickett was injured on a quarterback sneak at the goal line, thus bringing in Mitch Trubisky for basically the last three quarters. I think the most encouraging thing here is that it was far and away Kyler's best arm game so far since he returned the last month. And that's what I've been worried about because he was literally 32nd in completion rate on throws 10 yards downfield. He'd only been getting there for fantasy because he had scored a rushing touchdown and three consecutive games. But this one, there's plays all over the tape. Even his touchdown to Rondell Moore, although it was a terrific catch by Moore, that's all Kyler scrambling around like a squirrel in the pocket and running out to his right and just like finding Moore's back shoulder. He also had uh, Rondell Moore in the first quarter over the top of two defenders that Moore dropped. I don't know if it would have been a touchdown, but it would have been a 60-yard play, too. Also, Trey McBride, like we saw a lot of times today, unfortunately, where the refs stood in and made egregious calls. They basically negated one of McBride's touchdowns today, but Kyler fortunately goes right back to him. Uh, and in a Gronk-like mode, McBride just... just basically corrals it and then hits the turf after a big hit. So they get there in the end today and no pushback, obviously once Pickett leaves the game. Trey McBride's turning into a real player and he's just absolutely mm -hmm. dominating with Marquise Brown injured. I believe that he left this game. I'm not sure if he yep. ever returned, but that heel injury he's practiced once in the last two weeks. So his uh, it's basically impossible to trust him until he gets in some full practices. And then the Greg Dortch stuff is fun for like a couple plays, but Really, it's just Trey McBride eating right now. And in this game, we had a positive game script, James Conner in a revenge spot. Yeah. Andre Bocelli came in once Marquise Brown was injured in the second half. Is that how you pronounce it, Josh? Bocelli? Yeah, Bocelli. Is that opera singer, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, that guy. Um, and then for the Steelers, Deontay Johnson gets there in the end, but he went into the last drive with two catches for five yards. It was ugly. And then spiked a 30-yard catch and the touchdown basically in garbage time so we got there in fantasy at least in the end just to run through some of the box score yeah marquise yeah. brown as you said three targets zero receptions james connor revenge game i guess we can call it that 25 carries 105 yards Good game script two scores um no rushing score uh i think this would be the fourth game out of the last four obviously he got it in the last three for kyler murray um talk to me about the rushing totals here for the steelers because you get the same thing daigle 
Every single week, it's Najee Harris and or Jalen Moore and what should we do? Najee gets 16 carries, 63. Jalen, 9 for 59. Um, and then just one catch for negative four yards for Jalen Warren in comparison to two catches for 14 for Najee. And I answered those questions incorrectly ahead of this one because I was asked, like you said, Najee or Jalen, and I followed the process. Warren out-touched Najee Harris 16 to 15 last week. So I just assumed, okay, uh, this is the direction they'll be leaning moving forward. But as you said, not a chance at all. Najee Harris, 18 touches to Warren's 10 today. Warren still made the explosive plays, but it went right back to the timeshare that it was previously and that Najee is still always used inside the 10-yard line. And now out touching Warren significantly again. I think one of the problems for the Steelers is they lost this game by two to one of the or two scores to one of the worst teams in the league. And they ran the ball more times than they passed the ball. So this is one of these teams that's going to be super slow paced, super run heavy. And that's going to be the method. And if Najee's getting bundled up like he did in this one, it's going to be hard to kind of squeeze this one out. This the Cardinals defense I think it's awful, yeah. awful. Mm -hmm. Oh, the yeah. Score 10 points here is uh, beyond the weather, beyond the weather. And, and we know the Steelers have been paper tigers benefiting from their schedule, but we had hoped that some kind of change in their offense was what made them somewhat exciting come the postseason if they do sneak in. But depending on Kenny Pickett's ankle injury and how long he's out, there's just no chance with Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, because their schedule was super light during this two-game stretch, and that could have yeah. easily taken them to eight and four, nine and four on the season because uh, it's the Cardinals this week, and then it's the team with the number two overall pick and the New England Patriots next week. And then now it's kind of up for grabs because we talked about like the new offensive coordinator bounce last week, new play caller bounce, and that they attacked over the middle of the field. Uh, I'll have to go back and watch. It certainly seems like they didn't attack any portion of the field against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. No, and TJ Watt is having an individually amazing season, but the defense has also leaked bad uh, big plays consistently. Even with Minka Fitzpatrick through week eight before he got injured and returned in this one, the Steelers were allowing the seventh highest rate of 15-yard passes. Uh, the defense also is not that great, honestly, so I don't know how they're going to get there if Pickett's not in. Dolphins versus Commanders. The Commanders are a bad football team. Therefore, nine. Therefore, the Miami Dolphins crushed them 45 to 15. I mean, Hayden, it's set up as a smash spot, and you just go down the list. Uh, Tyreek Hill, five for 157, two touchdowns. Raheem Mostert, 43 yards and one touchdown on the ground. And then back into our lives, Devon Achan, 17 carries, 73 yards, and two scores. I would classify this as one of the worst game plans I've seen against the Dolphins and obviously not a surprise given the circumstances uh, going over in Washington and teams typically facing Mike McDaniel and Tua struggle for the first time they've seen them and then they kind of tighten things up. We had basically cover three uh, off coverage against Tyreek Hill who just ran right by the corner for a long touchdown <laughs> and then we had that slot uh, touchdown also ran right by somebody with no safety help over the top. Tyreek Hill finishes this game with 13 uh, total EPA. He is firmly in the MVP conversation. When you watch this game, you can see how valuable Tyreek Hill is for someone like Tua who finished this game with 96 percentile total EPA. All these wide open throws, beautiful balls from Tua, but Tyreek Hill was quite frankly wide open on a couple of them. I will say the big difference for Tua this year, the couple times in the pocket where 
He's able to step up or step around some players where maybe those turn into sacks or panic throws. But like plays like this one, I mean, this game, that ball was wide open and Tyreek Hill was absolutely going crazy, even though he left momentarily with a little bit of the ankle injury. You just never really felt that coming. And then after this Tyreek Hill, this game was already over after those those touchdowns with Tyreek Hill. Raheem Mostert gets a goal line carry in the first half, and then he doesn't play anymore. And then it was time for Devon Achan. He looked totally fine in this game. He had a goal line touchdown in the second half. Uh, his first play got absolutely hammered behind the line of scrimmage for like a seven-yard loss. But beyond that, it was just Achan, Achan, Achan. Uh, we'll go over the, the the running back chart and stats versus film, but it was literally basically Raheem Mostert for the first half and Devon Achan for the second half, and this entire offense was absolutely rolling. Uh, per True Media, at least with Tua on the field in this one, before the backups came in, Raheem Mostert outcarried Achan 11-9, but Achan doubled Mostert up in routes. So I think that's pretty encouraging usage considering that they waited an extra week to bring Achan back to make sure the same thing didn't happen again. Yeah, everyone left this game completely fine, so we should be back and rocking yeah. and rolling for Miami. On the flip side, it was just a really bad game for everybody involved. Brian Robinson leaves really early with this game with a hamstring injury, so it was Antonio Gibson for as much as he, is, he was able to handle. They got uh, Chris Rodriguez in the mix a little bit, but this team was just completely not ready for this game, uh, they had 18 pass attempts on first or second down. One of them went for a first down. That's zeroth percentile. Uh, they had a third percentile success rate in general. It was a second percentile success rate on their pass attempts. Uh, and what's crazy about the success rate stat is that doesn't even properly account for the pick six Sam Howell threw on a screen pass as well. Uh, Howell did have a screen touchdown to Diami Brown. Uh, uh, after the game, it was Terry McLaurin saying that he ran a lot of cardio because he didn't have a catch in this one. The Dolphins defense just looks a lot different when you have someone like Jalen Ramsey. Obviously, losing Jalen Phillips is going to matter, but the commanders are now top five in projected draft capital going into this next year. And honestly, it now feels appropriate now that we've regressed the good Sam Howell with a lot of the bad. And we've seen that for extended streak now. Yeah, Sam Howell is just going to be in fascinating case study this off season because i mean we talk about it every single week i'll try to keep it short here uh obviously people in the building including ron rivera believe that hey we found the franchise quarterback in sam howell they are now on a four game losing streak where uh, against the seahawks he did throw for 312 yards and three touchdowns then these last three games it's three interceptions one interception one interception four sacks four sacks three sacks taken um one of those games is against Dallas, two others against the Giants and the Dolphins. And it's going to be totally up to the new head coach, the new play caller to make that decision. So do you like overextend this offseason to try to make something happen with one of these other random quarterbacks or third, fourth, number five, five quarterbacks in the draft class? Or do you run it back again with Sam Howell with a new coaching staff on top of that and then see what you have? It's going to be an interesting, again, decision that new decision makers have to make in Washington. I would say the only wrong answer in what they did is to declare that Sam Howell is our starter going into the next season in week nine. You know, that seems like a little bit early into the career. Yeah. Um, just real quick. And I meant to say this for CJ Stroud. I'll just make the point here with 
um, Tua Tungavailoa as well. When these offensive lines give these quarterback pockets, um, it is so cool now to see these quarterbacks in somewhat similar offenses that say take deeper shots that the longer you hold on to the football, now their quarterbacks realize, oh, well, these guys are going to have trouble in the back half sticking to my awesome pass catchers who are either big or fast or big and fast. And so then you can launch the ball 40 yards down the field rather than going from deep down. It's, hey, intermediate to even deeper. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty sweet. The second touchdown of Tyreek's is so funny because he literally gets on one knee behind the line of scrimmage because he's just gassed from just running around in motion the whole time. Then he gets back up, Tua waits for him, Tua snaps the ball, and Tyreek just takes off, and he just runs right past the corner. Uh, Josh, to your point, the uh, commanders had five pressures the entire game against Mm. Tua. Too easy. And and one, I I think these things can be said individually. that is awesome offensive line blocking, but then, and reiterating this for the Texans too, that is just awesome quarterback play as well to like, I'm just going to throw daggers at you and create even bigger plays when you give me time to make those deep shots. Okay. Overtime game. Colts versus Titans. I implore all of you to go back and watch Colts Titans on Monday. This game was truly bananas. When in overtime with about four minutes and 30 seconds left, the Indianapolis Colts get the ball back um, and Gardner Minshew, Shane Steichen, another contested catch by Michael Pittman after the Titans already scored a field goal at the start of overtime and then ending it with basically an Alec Pierce 56 yard shot. Uh, Everything came together here for an Indianapolis Colts team now seven and five again, winning this one 31 to 28 for an offense that did not want to be this way to start the season, an, a, a team that had Anthony Richardson and gave Jonathan Taylor money, and now you're pivoting on over to Gardner Minshew and Zach Moss, uh, forcing Michael Pittman to run his routes five to seven yards down the field, but it still wins. And it's, to me, coaching. Like This is the epitome of coaching, where Alec Pierce pops up for his career game at six targets, three receptions, 101 yards, 100 yards, and one score. And it's also when you were down by pretty significant points at halftime, 17 to 13, and you're able to claw and scratch your way back. And a big part of that is blocking two punts and back-to-back. <laughs> they back had the to back punt drives. The, the running start one. We saw that again. That was fun. The second one who Ryan Sonas, if you don't remember, was the MVP of the Titans game last week. Um, the ball was literally plucked off of the drop and he was injured and ruled out for the game. Also, the reason that this game went to overtime is because at 25-25, after a touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins, once Derrick Henry left the game mid-fourth quarter, um, Nick Folk misses a PAT with Ryan Tannehill holding as the placeholder on top of that. So again, that sends it to halftime. I mean, there was over... 440 yards between these two teams at half. I don't even want to go through the game by game by series by series scenario. I just want to give credit to this Colts team who we talk about throughout the league, so many backup quarterbacks this year. And I feel like the Colts and Indianapolis have easily handled it the best. They've scored at least 20 points in all but one game. And the other game, they won that game against the Patriots. I mean, it's, the offense is fairly balanced, but when they do pass the ball, we know exactly where it's going to. It starts with Michael Pittman, and then we kind of hope that 
uh, Josh Downs could ride along with this. And then in the meantime, the running backs are going to get all the usage. Obviously, Zach Moss doesn't pay off here. Uh, 57 scoreless yards, but the usage was there. And I mean, the Michael Pittman stuff is just absolutely beautiful. He is a dog. He He's going to get paid. He's going to be a very rich man this offseason. He can do way more than run five-yard routes over and over and over <laughs> again. But what we're seeing from Michael Pittman is, hey, I'm going to ask you to run into the teeth of the defense. I'm going to ask you against a Mike Brable-led defensive unit to make tough contested catches. And he did it through the entire game. Just a fantastic player, Michael Pittman. Seeing him play this year makes the way Frank Reich used him even more egregious. Yeah, and, and even at times, I, I'm totally with you. Actually, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, on top of this, this Colts team was even stuffed inside in goal-to-go situations on multiple drives. Only got a field goal out of about three goal-to-go situations. And they still won. Um, I didn't think Zach Moss looked bad at all. In fact, this is going to be a weird aesthetic uh analogy i'm making comparison but he has like that same patient hesitant running style that we see of other running backs in previous years where i thought that he was always this like hammer hit the hole truck stick type but no now he's like i'm going to set both feet down the line of scrimmage wait mm -hmm. for a linebacker or defensive lineman to attack then shift lanes and keep going from there did he look slower there was a time where he like left like for, i think he like left for like one play but it was like an ankle injury what was it or yeah, nothing to worry just about got his ankle rolled up on yeah. and that's it derrick henry i believe left with a head injury after a huge hit he does finish his day 21 uh carries 102 yards and two scores he got an early 22 yard rushing touchdown where he presses the hole bounces it outside and gets the corner store i will add after he left that final touchdown drive was basically the Tajay Spears drive. Mm -hmm. um, and look, that to me, that shows how much trust this team has in Tajay Spears moving forward, whether it be after this year, whether it be the following season. Uh, Tajay Spears, I always thought, had a three-down profile as a prospect. And again, in like the one sample that we've gotten it in one quarter of action, the Titans wrote him as one, and that's going to equal fancy points whenever that does happen for Tasha Spears in the future. A fun schedule that everyone has been sitting on Derrick Henry for, too, through the fantasy playoffs against the Dolphins, Texans, Seahawks, and Texans again. So sweet spot for Tajay Spears if he is asked to step in. And one final sick play, if you want to call it that. Will Levis throws a middle of field interception. Uh, the linebacker gets up, and then Will Levis causes the fumble and then recovers the fumble on the exact same drive, on the exact will, same play. That will happen again with Will Levis. That just <laughs> seems like that is destiny for Mr. Will Levis. He might be the best tackling quarterback in the league. We can give Terrifying. him credit for that. <laughs> yeah. Chargers versus Patriots. I mean, there were six points scored in this game. Six points scored in an NFL game. Was weather an issue here, Daigle? I mean, the Chargers, five and seven on the road now. 6-0 over the New England Patriots. 37 pass attempts from Justin Herbert. 25 pass attempts from Bailey Zappi. Take it away. Why did I pick this game in our draft, first of all? <laughs> I knew it was a bad week, but why did I lean to this one? I think the most important takeaway is that this was the third consecutive game. The Patriots gave up 10 or fewer points. The defense, even without Christian Gonzalez and numerous injuries throughout, hasn't been the issue. The issue is that they've still lost those three games. 
and they're now one and three when allowing 10 or fewer points on the year, while the rest of the NFL is 50 and zero in that exact situation. Because this Patriots offense is so miserable. Bailey Zappi sacked five times, two by Khalil Mack, who is having the quietest career-high 15-sack season probably in NFL history since we don't really talk about the Chargers' defense that much. And it really ended in the first half. The Patriots were down 3-0 at the two-minute warning, starting a drive. <laughs> the game their- ended. It was six year. The game ended. <laughs> starting a drive from their 13, and then they proceed to go incomplete pass, run for negative one yard, create a false start penalty, incompletion again, and then a punt return that was 34 yards brought back, set up that Chargers 6-0 field goal, game over from there. Ramondre Stevenson leaves this one with what appeared to be a serious ankle injury, couldn't put weight on his foot. So we'll see about Ezekiel Elliott and that situation next week. And Keenan Allen also, one catch in the first half, very clearly banged up since he was a true question mark coming into this one, but still with his final box score does get to a hundred receptions on the season now. Yeah. The Zeke stuff is going to be embarrassing where I'm going to have him ranked. I mean, just the touches were there <laughs> five, five targets, 17 carries. He's going to be the only guy that they're going to care about. It's not going to be very pretty, uh, but the Patriots at least with this loss and the Cardinals winning, they have the second overall pick projected right now. And they have the tiebreaker based off of, strength of schedule for the Cardinals who are obviously a better team than the Bailey Zappi Patriots. So you can take solace that they'll have the option of Drake may or Caleb Williams if they wish. Okay. Was the Ramondre Stevenson injury on a hip drop tackle Daigle? It was kind of, was it? Okay. Yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. See, I couldn't recall. I think that this kind of outlines the point. Our question I was about to ask. Um, hip drop tackles, as everyone knows, and I'm sure by now have been outlawed or rules against them in rugby across the world. Mm-hmm. And at first I was of the opinion where, how else do you want a defender to make a play? And I actually think at times the only way you can get a, def- uh, a ball carrier down from behind is a similar style of tackle. But at the same time, the injury rate on said hip drop tackles is ludicrously high. So I don't know what the league is going to do now. We know that they make rules based on preventing injuries. I think that they will outlaw the hip drop tackle. And like from that mindset, I do understand it, but it's going to leave so much of a gray area. It's going to leave so much to the referee's discretion on the field that to me, we're going to get like falling on the quarterback, weight on the quarterback type calls in every single game when it comes to hip drop tackles now. So like a theoretical standpoint, I, I, I love the idea of preventing injuries, but in this regard, sometimes they can probably be prevented. Sometimes they can't be. And then at what point as a defender, are you just like throwing your hands in the air with like, how am I supposed to make money and play the position I'm supposed to? It's tough, 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 tough time to be a defender. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, okay. Daigle, let's ask about the chargers. The only names we care about, Keen Allen, who had dealt with an injury, Austin Eckler, who had 14 carries for 18 yards with a long right. gain of four, How two bad, receptions Jiggle. for nine Seriously, yards. It's It doesn't look pretty. Uh, I'm cheering for him, but it doesn't look good. Um, and then Quentin Johnson had, uh, as Matt Harmon put it, like one of the most brutal drops of drops you've ever seen. Yes. Which we have come to expect every single week now. <laughs> 
Okay. I tried to dig in a little bit more. I mean, but... well, I'll, how about here's a name, Gerald Everett. If we're dealing with all these injuries, like back end tight end, one, two borderline four receptions, 44 yards. I guess that's something. Yeah, he's um, still not running the full allotment of routes, but they need another receiver, which is why he has now had his name called in back-to-back games. So could be the player that emerges down the stretch here for them. But a tough upcoming matchup, not for Gerald Everett, since the Broncos are allowing the most fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends, but another tough matchup this upcoming week for Justin Herbert against them. Falcons versus Jets. Offense, 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 as the Atlanta Falcons beat the New York Jets 13 to 8. Six and six on the season. Atlanta is now. <sighs> Bijan Robinson, 18 carries, 53 yards. That's the only thing that piques my interest in this entire box score, Hayden. <laughs> At one point, I took a screenshot of this game because it was two to zero in the second quarter. After posting that screenshot, the next play, it was a Dalvin Cook fumble. By the way, going into this game, we had reports that Dalvin Cook was going to play more. At the expense of Brees Hall, didn't happen because you know Dalvin. Second Cook, time that's happened. Dalvin Cook can't play right now. That's <laughs> one one problem. Now with the Jets, while while we're on them, Tim Boyle also can't play, and they finally did bench him for Trevor Simeon. One problem: Trevor Simeon also can't play. Had like yep. twenty a negative twenty seven percent completion percent or per- percentage over expected was not good for him. We're seeing a botting out from Garrett Wilson three receptions for 50 yards tyler conklin is leading this team in targets with nine of them not a good sign i did see cj uzoma uh get injured in this game so maybe tyler conklin becomes some type of tight end too but this jets offense is completely unserious they're now all uh but eliminated from the playoff picture and to this point Brees hall is just not breaking enough tackles he doesn't have enough uh, wiggle right now behind this offensive line that's super injured. So as much receptions we can say, hey, Brees Hall caught five passes again. He's still barely an RB2 just because his offense is completely cratered. Uh, on the other side, it was what we feared for Drake London in this past game. The Jets secondary is just too good. After the game, they were talking to Kyle Pitts, and he said, yeah, they were just – putting more coverage on Drake London. Obviously, when you have two stud corners, that's easier to do. So Kyle Pitts does lead this team with eight targets, turned him into four for 51. But quite frankly, this Falcons team was not very threatened by the Jets offense, rightfully so. Don't want to continue to read into this, but I'm going to. Um, The best Kyle Pitts games that we have seen are these routes breaking to the left. Um, I didn't go back and watch all of his targets and receptions, but that is obviously not planting off the knee that has been mm-hmm. injured this past season, the off season and heading into this one. Um, there, it was like this against Tampa Bay, I believe too, when he had an earlier great game, uh, not saying that four reception 51 is fantastic, but the point stands. It's a start also one yard after the catch, um, mm-hmm. as you can see here. So there are still some issues with this Falcons offense. Uh, a couple funny ones in here. Um, only 30% of their series started with a pass play. Um, this was a close game the entire time. So typically the lowest teams in the league are about like 40%. They're down to 30%, pretty rare spot on how uh, run heavy this offense is. Uh, Bijan Robinson got safetyed uh, in his own ed zone, and it wasn't even close. Like typically you see like a running back get safetyed. It's like right at the goal line. He got tackled, no joke, like five yards into his own end zone. They tried to run a stretch play, got completely blown up. He did play 28 of the first 36 snaps of the game. 
Um, he was a focal point early on, didn't have the complete explosives that we were used to. So kind of just had a mediocre game based off of volume and touches. A mm-hmm. bounce back spot ahead, at least for the Falcons passing game, given the Bucks secondary on deck one that only the Panthers passing game has not been able to take advantage of so far. Um, yeah, that game they played a few weeks ago and Desmond Ritter, uh, 19 of 25, 250 yards, Drake London, six for 54. Cal Pitts, three for 47 in that yeah. game. I had the Saints and the Falcons today in coverage, and those are the two teams right now <laughs> competing for a spot. And I'm hoping the Bucs can get in I there. because The Falcons a that are six want. and six, and they're number one in the NFC South. Right. They're playing for the right to play the Dallas Cowboys, who right. are extremely good, and this is not going to end well. Panthers versus Buccaneers. Fix that NFC South, because the Buccaneers improved to five and seven being the Carolina Panthers 21 to 18. Uh, I'll just present this photo to the classroom about what the first half weather looked like. Um, It was abysmal. Mm. It was torrential downpours and neither offense could get anything going in the first half. That leads us to Baker Mayfield with 202 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, At the end of the game, Bryce Young, 15 of 31 for 178 uh, and one interception. For him, um, it was a bit of a back and forth game in the second half. If you know, we want to throw some competition in there. Uh, Rashad White had at least one rushing touchdown. Yes, twenty carries, eighty-four yards, a one-yard plunge. Um, Panthers actually take a ten to seventeen lead, or a ten to seven lead, I should say. Uh, back shoulder to Stefan Sullivan. Jonathan Mingo, I think, pops up for his best game of his career so far. Six receptions, sixty-nine yards on. 10 targets. Um, then immediately after scoring another Chuba Hubbard one yard touchdown, uh, the Bucks answer with Mike Evans scoring a 75 yard in breaking route with absolutely no one covering the middle of the field and no one back there to stop the tackle to bring him down. Uh, and so they go up 14 to 10. Brian Burns is ejected on the ensuing uh, extra point. And Mike Evans now records his 10th straight. 1,000 yard season as a professional. Incredible stuff. Um, The game ends 21 18. Panthers are down 331 left, two timeouts. Um, Ends on a broken play ish interception by Bryce Young on fourth and two, where Antoine Winfield uh, runs and uh, runs downhill, I should say, uh, cuts in front of Adam Thielen, uh, who turns his route up along the sideline. And that is that. Panthers miserable bucks. I would actually like to see them like you were saying, Hayden, win the NFC South, I think they're mm-hmm. just a more fun football team, but the entire first half here can basically be thrown out because uh, if you just want to look at Baker's interception, couldn't hold on to it. And it was just a sky ball immediately out of his hands. At least the Buccaneers seem like they're fighting out there. I think it's just like Mike Evans and Baker Mayfield and Rashad white after pretty mediocre results. Rashad white is, coming alive in a second season. Uh, but right now with Chris Godwin, no receptions on three targets. He was like full limited than DNP in practice with a new neck injury kind of been lingering around a little bit with a bunch of injuries right now. I had like Mike Evans as like wide receiver six, seven. I think a lot of that was because of all the bye weeks this week, but I'm thinking about just making him the, like the wide receiver six, yeah. seven, just moving forward. I mean, how, how much production does this guy need for a team that actually showing some fight on offense. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a couple of plays here because they were just sweet. And the first one is the lone touch 
for Chris Godwin, a one carry 19 yards. And this is awesome design by Dave Canales. You can see it's an unbalanced offensive line with three offensive linemen to the left of the center. That means two tight ends to the right. Um, it's action to the left, which draws all the linebackers in that direction at the, at first two tight ends blocking out in front. And then just the angles and the tackling or abysmal on that. Like when you're losing to the edge in the corner to Chris Godwin, uh, you're donezo. Let's put it that way. And then um, the Mike Evans in-breaking route was also pretty sweet for a score where I have, they rotate into cover one or single high at the very least. And then I have no idea why 27 is biting down here. Um, but then Mike Evans just finds empty space, boom, cuts it and runs off. And it's a leaping uh, inside the pylon touchdown for him. I mean, he looks like he's 25. He looks yeah, like he's 25 and he's about to make another massive contract. This mm -hmm. offseason, like I don't see how Tampa Bay lets him go, but someone's going to give him a bag this offseason. I agree. Um, Chuba Hubbard, that's a lot of touches. Yeah, two goal line carries. Uh, obviously, the first half, all, all these teams could do was run the football. So I think that's why we equaled a bunch. The mm -hmm. Panthers, again, first time really with Thomas Brown without Frank Reich hovering over him. There's not that much you can change, but it did feel like there was more. Um, up the middle runs and probably more duo looking back on it. Um, and yeah, he got 25 carries for 104 yards. I think he's the only, only the second running back this year to eclipse hundred rushing yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then with that said, there was a third and one and fourth and one to end the game and they didn't run the football once in either of those two plays. Is your opinion that Adam Thielen is beyond cooked at this point? Now he's like boom, bust wide receiver three. I've been trying to keep him in the wide receiver two rank because I had to based off of bye weeks, but like we're on, we're on a, quite the stretch all of a sudden. Yeah, so it, it's a fair question. I'll pull up one Panthers play to kind of outline my thought here. Yeah, to DJ Chark. So it felt like, if you want to say because of lack of exterior speed or because of Todd Bowles as a play caller, they were just loading the box, right? And also Tampa Bay was down to their fourth string inside linebacker because even their third stringer left in like the second quarter. Um, and so there wasn't much going on through the middle of the field. And then to your point, Hayden, it just feels like now that we've gotten to week 13, uh, Adam Thielen just has even less juice than he did earlier on the season. And I, that, I have noticed like, those option routes that Adam Thielen was getting away with it. All of a sudden, the, that was like the only mode of transportation for Carolina. So I'm sure defensive adjusted. Okay. We'll close it out with uh, two more games. One final one here on Sunday. Browns versus Rams. We'll talk about the Rams in a moment. They're six and six now on the season, but the Browns are fighting for their playoff lives. Seven and five on the year. And dare I say, cool Joe Flacco stepping in 23 of 44, 254 yards, two touchdowns to one interception. We have seen worse quarterback play by the Cleveland Browns this season. I'm sure we have. It seems like another defensive team trying to fight for the playoffs in New York probably could have used somebody like Joe Flacco this season I, as well. Arm talent-wise, like Flacco was the best option they've had all year, Deshaun Watson included. I think it's um, fair. And maybe we should have, at least I should have, thought more about uh, his previous connection here with Elijah Moore dating back to their days together at the New York Jets. What we saw from Elijah Moore, 12 targets, just four receptions, but look at all these vertical routes. Uh, 83 yards on top of that. And then in the backfield, Kareem Hunt, 12 carries, 48 yards. Jerome Ford, 9 for 19. But he does catch 3 for 33 
and a score. They had all those quotes about one another, Flacco and Moore, oh. and I just brushed them off the side, but they spoke glowingly of each other. Like wow. they genuinely love playing with each other ahead of this game. And then yes, more pops up with a 29.6% target share. Amari Cooper does leave for a little bit. He did come into the game with rib injury too, but it is clear being a gunslinger Flacco does love throwing the more downfield. Well, that was going to be my, my big note that I have to eat my words with. I I kept calling Joe Flacco check down artist. Here comes David and Joku. Maybe we get Jerome Ford receptions. He had a 12.3 average depth of target in this game. I mean, he just bombs oh, downfield. Yeah. Elijah Moore never gets downfield targets. All of a sudden, Joe Flacco gets them. So with Amari, I think that is the big takeaway, though. Amari Cooper's like playing through it right now very clearly. Um, so obviously and that's, that's with another help. injury, right? Yeah. So I think that's yeah. just going to help Elijah Moore, certainly. Okay. On the other end, 36 points from these LA Rams. Again, they're also making a playoff push. Kyron Williams got there with a final second touchdown, 21 carries, 88 yards, and a score. But you can always probably bank on a Kyron Williams touchdown. I know Puka Nakua opened with a 70-yard score. And then Cooper Cup also win this game just to take the lead or get it out of hand towards the end. Uh, finishes the day with six receptions, 39 yards, and a score. Uh, Hayden, as we talked about with Adam Thielen, is it to maybe a lesser degree on your radar about Cooper Cup right now? It's certainly on my radar. Uh, he had one like little – I forget it was – some type of slant route, something similar to that, and just like did not have the juice to make a diving catch. And usually those were like yards after the catch opportunities. Uh, but Matthew Stafford's absolutely playing out of his mind. That touchdown he had to Puka Nakua for the, the 70 yarder was an absolute perfect spot. It looked kind of like a Tampa two beater right over the linebacker. That was a perfect spot. So if Matthew Stafford is playing as well as he is, I do still think there's a chance Cooper Cup can get there. But obviously the yards after the catch, the design stuff, to Cooper Cup is no longer there. And by the way, Cooper Cup is on the uh, Rams books next year for $30 million guaranteed. The issue with Stafford continuing to play well is the splits are clearly happening when he's not under pressure. Uh, even today, 18 of 27 for 180 yards and two touchdowns from a clean pocket. And it did seem like a sneaky good spot for the Rams, given all the injuries the Browns are going through on defense. They're just not the same unit, at least at this time. The issue is that the Ravens are on the Rams schedule next. So I would say I am fairly worried right now. Ooh, out of a bye, too. That's a... Uh... Yeah. Ravens full not, focus. Not pretty. Well, I'm looking at the box score. I haven't watched this game entirely. Miles Garrett does not come away with a tackle sack. TFL. Does he play? Nothing. He was playing the whole time. So with Denzel wow. Ward out and Miles Garrett be having probably his worst game of the entire season, all of a sudden like this super elite Browns defense, probably still decent, but those are the two absolute superstars. I think that Denzel Ward, his ability in man coverage probably unlocks a whole lot of things for uh, Jim Schwartz. Kyron Williams also... Just right back to it with 24 of 25 backfield touches, throwing him into the fire. Seahawks versus Cowboys. We'll roll it back to Thursday and then get out of here. I mean, finally, an awesome Thursday night game with the Cowboys being the Seahawks. Rest. 41 to 35. I mean, just a laser show from both sides. Mm -hmm. um, let's start with the Cowboys, man. I mean... It's easy to say, especially after just the low-scoring weeks that we're seeing this week, and sometimes it can be difficult to separate player production from scheme and so on and so forth. But I don't think there's like a player playing their position better on offense in the league right now, maybe than Tyree Kill at wide receiver, Chris McCaffrey at running back, than Dak Prescott playing quarterback. 29 to 41, 299 yards, three touchdowns, just so in sync, and we've talked about this a lot. 
how Mike McCarthy has evolved too, that they're taking deep shots after deep shots, intermediate, and it's just working beautifully right now in Dallas. And I want to see this team go as far as they can in the playoffs. That's a Seahawks defense that was allowing a league low in catches per game on the boundary, since that's where they have Tariq Wool and Devin Witherspoon. And it didn't matter at all because now the Cowboys over the last six games have continued moving CD Lamb around all over, which is also to your point, Hayden, earlier about cornerback matchups. And we've had this discussion on the show earlier, but again, it doesn't matter when your play callers move your guys around. And that's exactly what's happening with CD Lamb, Brandon Cooks, even Jake Ferguson now. Like talking his talk, uh, mossing Jamal Adams and pushing him out of the way. Like they have complementary pieces and superstars. Cowboys have now eight games where they've scored at least 30 points, and a couple of those have been 40 burgers like this one. Yeah. I hope all you guys are watching Prime Vision on Thursday Night Football. They show more all 22, and they have all this next-gen stats. If you watch that, you were able to appreciate what Dak Prescott's doing. His ability to process the field and the time that he does, and all the answers to the test pre-snap to even get get there is just absolutely incredible. So I do think if Dak Prescott can win one or two of these huge games down the stretch, maybe Sunday Night Football being an Eagles team uh, and in front of a national audience, I do think that could be the difference of Dak Prescott officially becoming a lead player in the MVP markets. He, to me, is would be my vote right now. Yeah, it is a huge stretch for them. We've talked about it every single week, but coming up, Philly at home, on the road in Buffalo, on the road in Miami, and then Detroit at home. So again, you're 9-3. Yes. and three. I'm not sure. I mean, again, this Philly game is a big part of it. Uh, I would then assume that San Francisco would have the edge if they finish with the same record as the Cowboys, but I'm talking out of my butt and have no clue about that. But I mean, just winning a few of these games and then rolling into the playoffs with this offense where you have scored 41, 45, 33, and 49 points in this league in 2023 over the last four games. Incredible stuff. I was just going to say that their defense, there's a couple spots that you can kind of pick apart. Obviously, Deron Bland has been phenomenal, but he's been also very aggressive, probably taking a note out of Diggs' playbook. And that's how DK Metcalf, I mean, absolutely just obliterated him. And there was also that JSN penalty in the end zone uh, that set up another touchdown as well. But yeah, good to see DK Metcalf. This guy was, it feels like DK Metcalf has been due for like like two years, yeah. and we finally were able to cash this in absolute monster performance um, from one of the better wide receivers in the league, obviously. On the other end with the Seahawks, since they've made that trade for Leonard Williams to kind of go in on the defensive side of the ball, uh, it hasn't been great. I think they've won maybe one game since then. Now they're 6-6. Six and six. I will say this was the best Geno Smith performance of the yep. season, and to me, a huge part of it. We talked about this. Um, in stats versus film this past week, Pete Carroll asking Gino to get the ball out much more quickly. And on that first DK Metcalf 73 yard touchdown, you totally saw it. He hit his back foot, not necessarily open, but in a time to throw of 2.87 seconds for the rest of the season on Thursday night, it was 2.54 seconds for Gino Smith. And that equaled, you know, 23 completions for 334 yards, three scores, and that one bad interception at the end. Zach Charbonnet was basically a full bell cow in this one as he was at UCLA. So we'll see if Ken Walker is going to return. It didn't seem like he was that close to returning the previous Thursday, but now Seahawks, I mean, they, they need to win some ball games down the stretch and their next two opponents uh, really tough with the 49ers and Eagles 
up next. They need to hopefully win one of those games. We'll, we'll also see if Charbonnet's in since he got injured mm-hmm. in the last quarter and it only left DJ Dallas available. Yeah, man, what a league. What a league we are 13 weeks in and uh, everything is just a mess. The only thing that really isn't a mess is like the top of the draft order. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. after that, we're going to see some craziness in these final two or three weeks. That is for sure. All right. That does it for us. For John Daigle over at 4 for 4, his waiver column. Look, it's week 14 coming up, ladies and gentlemen. Buckle up. I know some of you are clinching your first round buys. Some of you are still trying to squeak into the dance in order to make noise in your fantasy football playoffs. And John Daigle and his column and his podcast over at 4 for 4 got you covered. Right, Dixie? It's going to be a busy week with the backup running back since so many injuries happened on Sunday. I will have that sorted and ranked for everyone by Monday afternoon. There we go. All right. We have a normal week this week. Sats versus film coming at you on Tuesday, along with some scheme, tiers, and rankings throughout the week. All right. Shout out to Producer Weaves. Shout out to Dixie. Go and follow him. Shout out to him. Up develop. Talk to you all soon. See you.